Hey everybody, Montel here, and thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Let's Be Blunt. And our guest today is the CEO and co-founder and publisher of Cannabis Now Magazine and Hemp Magazine. Cannabis Now Magazine launched in 2009 and has quickly become one of the most trusted sources for cannabis information in the world. It's available in several bookstores, dispensaries around the country, and at numerous other newsstands nationwide, the US, Canada, the UK. Eugenio Garcia, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, sir. Thank you. Then let's let's tell everybody. You know, you and I ran into each other. This was years ago, my friend, right? In Israel. Three years now. Three years now. We were in front of the King David Hotel in Tel Aviv, Israel. We were filming a mini documentary on cannabis culture at the Canatech conference. And you were you were gracious enough to give us some of your time and Man, those, those seemed like years ago, and it was years ago, but it seemed like a different world now. Cannabis has advanced, the world has advanced, and we have degressed in many areas too. And what a, what a different time it is right now. I know, it's really phenomenal. You know, so we're going to talk a little bit about Israel and what Israel has been doing over the course of the last 40 years that a lot of people don't know about, because Israel has been involved in cannabis research, some of which was funded by the United States government 40 years ago. People don't know that. But we ought to talk about that a little bit. And, um, you know, and let's talk a little bit about both magazines. Uh, you are becoming an industry leader, you know, one of the most respected places that people can go to to, you know, involve themselves in educational information that allows them to be able to speak smartly in discussions about cannabis. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Hey, thank you. It's, uh, it's a labor of love. And we've got a super passionate team that over the years has curated what, what we're very proud to be a standard in the industry for education, entertainment, uh, and knowledge around all things uh, cannabis related. Yeah. And, you know, and, now, and now hemp. Yeah. Well, I got you know, I got to tell you, I, I have said this over and over again, and I'll continue to say this. I think education is really the biggest issue that circles around this entire industry. It's the lack of education. I mean, I know you are out there. We got to do as much as we can to get to make sure we promote and make sure people know where to go to get good information. And it's to go to Cannabis Now magazine. But at the same time, it's almost like we can't, you what is it? You can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You know, the magazine's available, but we can't make them pick it up. And how do we get more people to stop and say, stop the stupid? It's just like what we're seeing right now. You know, more people are more interested in believing bull crap than they are believing truth. But why don't they stop the stupid and start reading and understanding what they claim to be so much against? It, it is such an uphill battle. And I, I think that w when you say, uh, you know, we have to be educated to move forward, you're absolutely right. But it, it's, it's a multidimensional problem in the right. sense that it's not just education. For example, when the iPhone came out, you know, when we transitioned from a flip phone to a digital iPhone, which changed the world, really, it brought in social media, it brought in access to all sorts of entertainment and, and content. And now we're all walking around with these little computers. There was a many year transition of education to learn how to engage with that technology. And that happened over maybe five, six, seven, eight years. What we're dealing with with cannabis, it's not just something new that we have to educate people on. It's something that over, over 80 years 
has been told that it's demonized, that it's illegal, that, that you're going to be a bad person, that you're going to go to jail if you engage in this plant. So it's not just engaging that's hard. It's having people feel safe to even think about education. Am, am I, am I going to be demonized for even thinking about cannabis? That's the first barrier. Well, that's part of the thing. The reason why I'm doing this podcast, Let's Be Blood, is to try to see if I can get more and more people to come out of the shadows and step into the light and let people know that they've been involved in this process for longer than most people know. And at the same time, you know, but I, I, I got, I'm going to agree with you 100% that you're right. We got to get the stigma out of even wanting to learn. But I think with truth comes the need for knowledge. You know what I'm saying? I mean, unfortunately, we have a society that, you know, you're right. The iPhone did revolutionize the world, but the iPhone also made us a little too stupid. Excuse me. I'm sorry. You know, people are more willing to just, there you go. People are more willing to just wait for this thing to tell them what to do rather than to seek information to tell it what to do. And I got to figure out, I mean, have you, have you, I, I know your, your, your organization probably spends hours on end trying to figure out how do we crack this nut? What do you think it's going to take to get us to make, I mean, you know, well, look, you just, uh, we were talking about the fact that we met in Israel, you know, Israel has since, you know, back in, what was it, 2010, they passed the law making cannabis a geriatric drug back then. When you hit the age 70, you had the right to go down to a dispensary. Or go, no, sorry, go down to a hospital, multiple hospitals in Tel Aviv, and sign up with your ID and actually enroll in their cannabis, medical cannabis program. That's been since 2010. Israel was doing research back, you know, Dr. Meshulam, who we all, you know, kind of, you know, loud as being the godfather of cannabis information, utilizing funding from the United States of America, you know, helped America file for its patent on CBD back in 1999. People don't know that. I've been told by people that, well, people don't care. They don't care that the government has a patent. Yes, they do. I mean, I, I think right now when we're looking at the fact that, you know, monkey see is monkey do. I mean, it seems as if most of these people out here are just acting like, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Monkey that they needed to know. They need to know that our own government wrote about researched and made claims about the efficaciousness of cannabis and cannabinoids back now 30 years ago. I mean, I think the more we stick that in people's faces, the more they go, I didn't know that. Let me see, maybe I need to learn something else. I don't know. What do you think we need to do, man, to beat people upside the head and let's, let's take a stick? You know, it, it's, I think it's three-dimensional. When I think about it, when we think about it here at Cannabis Now and at Hemp Magazine, it's three-dimensional. Number one, we start with the history. Like, like you say, let's go back in time. Let's get the accurate history, publish it, put it in front of people's faces for education and for entertainment. Everybody, want, need, they, you got to absorb you got to give people the information the best way that they can absorb it. And some people are really interested in education, and sometimes you got to sneak it in on the entertainment side so that they will be receptive to it. So getting the history right is absolutely critical because once you have that foundation of, oh, I didn't know that that you know that that people made it illegal to target minorities and and to oppress uh, you know people of color. That's actually really horrible. So that's a 
No, saying, how about go even further than that? Go back to the fact that the Revolutionary Army was clothed in hemp uniforms. Every sail, every boat, every every sail, every canvas, every rope that was used in the U.S. Navy was made from hemp. Every one of our forefathers grew hemp. Several of our forefathers smoked it. We know that when they finally took a look at Benjamin Franklin's pipe and they scraped that pipe that they had had in the Smithsonian Institute for a hundred years, they realized that. Benjamin wasn't just smoking a little tobacco. Homeboy was literally getting lit most of the time. So let's tell them the truth. Nobody's willing to do that. We lie so much to the American public, and the American public is so gullible. They're like, you know, fish ready to take the hook. Well, and and that's the thing. I mean, the people like you and I who, who now understand and know what the actual history is, now we have the responsibility to bring that forth. That's number one. Number two, we have to change the laws. We have to continue to change the laws. And I'm actually very interested, we'll talk about this probably in a little bit about the incoming president-elect and, elect and how that will affect things. And then so the laws have to change. After you understand the history and know what actually is not bullshit and what is real, then you got to attack the present, which is how do we change the laws so people get out of jail and stop going to jail and so commerce can happen. Number three, the parents of the next generation have to educate the children. And I'm not saying push cannabis on children. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have to have an environment in the family environment, in, in the upcoming generation that has access to the truth so that when they become the lawmakers and they become the decision makers and they become the future CEOs and entrepreneurs, they are no longer part of the past generation that was brainwashed. And we have fundamentally made the paradigm shift into what the future of this plant will be for the planet and for medicine for people. Well, that's part of the reason why I'm jumping up here to play because, you know, it's really my generation that's, re that's really responsible for this ignorance and the lack of movement forward because you take a look at the fact that all across America today, it's filled with baby boomers who are legislators. And those baby boomers that are legislators remember that in the 70s and the early 80s when they were going to school, or the, the early 70s, late 70s, they were smoking pot. They know they were. They're lying to their own kids that they did what they did, but they realized that they did so and they were still successful. You know, it's the baby boomer that has literally helped to pass the legislation, but now they have to be truthful to their kids. And we have to give them platforms to be truthful about it in. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of the baby boomers stepping up to the plate and admitting the truth. You know, I remember when I went to high school, I'm telling you, man, in the early 70s, their, uh, cannabis use was rampant, you know, and, and whether they want to admit it or not, it wasn't just those people. It was every people that was involved. You know, we got out of the hippie period of the late 60s and jumped into the early 70s and early 80s where cannabis was being used on a regular basis. But then, well, you know, when, you know, we got the DEA to come in and start banging on people's heads and arresting people as hardly as hard as they did. It was kind of like a new prohibition effort that took place in the late eighties, early nineties. Nancy Reagan, just say no, get the hell out of here. You know what I mean? She wanted to just say no because her kids were smoking a little pot. And we know that for a fact. So I think, you know, you're right, man. We got to get more truth. We have to change laws and we have to have more people be willing to step up to the plate and tell the truths about themselves. Absolutely. And I, and I think 
a slight difference in where we can start to penetrate that message from your generation, the baby boomers, to now the Gen Xers and the, and the future generations is two ingredients that weren't part of the past. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because you, you lived it. Now we have two different dynamics that are incentivizing us to make this shift as a consciousness culture. Number one, medicine. I do believe that now you have this experience with MS. 20 years ago, I would say that there's a fundamentally different amount of people today who are using cannabinoids and cannabis for medicinal purposes than they were 30 years ago. Maybe they were inadvertently, but now there's a culture of I'm in pain. I don't want opioids. What's my alternative? And that's a completely different thing going on. And then number two, number two is industry, uh, biotech for hemp farming for the planet and money that you can make off taxes that can then go back into the community. And those are dynamics that you guys didn't have back in the day that now we have to push as incentives. Human beings respond to incentives and we have to use that to our advantage. I think you nailed it on the nose. I mean, too, when I was diagnosed 30 years ago, uh, we're really in uh, 1999, 2000, so 20 years ago, when I got diagnosed with MS and I came forward talking about the fact that cannabis worked for me, I, I, people want to throw books at me, man. I mean, with people who were just so afraid, oh, Montel, you can't say that. Yeah, you know, uh, yes, I could say that. And I did say that back then, back in 19, you know, 99, 2001, 2002, when I first came forward and started speaking out about and, and actually lobbying for and advocating for through MPP and, you know, the DPA. I was running around this country, one of the only celebrities out there talking about what, what I did and knowing that I could go to a party anywhere in LA and there'd be people smoking all night long. But those people wouldn't step up and say that they did what they did. So maybe it's now time to just go for people to actually tell some truth. Let's back up for a minute, my friend. Let's tell people, how did you even enter the cannabis industry? Oh man, it's been a journey. It, it, it came pretty intuitively. I'd been aware of cannabis um, probably since 1995 um, when I was in eighth grade. And, and it, was, it was not a elevated understanding of the plan. It's a very juvenile understanding. Now through high school, I actually witnessed my first medical connection to cannabis with a family member who uh, one of my close family members had MS and they had a cannabis plant growing in their back, backyard. And I said to my uncle, oh, what is this? You know, what, I, what is this? And oh, this is medicine for your aunt. And I was like, whoa, so there's a whole different dynamic. So early on, I started to understand that this plant had value. Coming through high school uh, and college, I was a political science major, Montel. And I was very, very interested in paradigm shifts. What made the world culture swing one way or, or the other? So I really was passionate about that. And then when I came out of political science graduate, I went to work for Whole Foods Market and Whole Foods Market revolutionized how we eat today with organic food, right? The, the shift into organic movement was led in, in the most part by Whole Foods and, and farmers. And so when I went, one of my family members got a medical license in 2004 in Montana to grow medical cannabis. And a lot of my friends started to create businesses, dispensaries. But they didn't know how to hire people. They didn't know how to negotiate leases, how to do accounting. And I teamed up with a, a close friend to help him with his business. And then um, his brother, I brought him a West Coast Leaf, which was a newspaper from Hayton Ashbury in San Francisco. 
And I said, hey, brother, you're going to like this publication. You're growing cannabis. Check out this West Coast Leaf. And I remember it like it was yesterday because we were smoking a joint in a blizzard, January of 2008. And he said, there needs to be a medical journal. His name is Bo Fanuzzi, my brother-in-law, Boris Fanuzzi. He said, there needs to be a medical journal to really educate people on the power of this plant. And as an entrepreneur, I, I get five, 10 ideas a day of you know, light bulbs going up. And this one was like lightning and thunder. I was like, you know what? You're damn right. There needs to be something that is very, very high level content to lead this new emerging industry forward. And we took a look at what, what was the competition. There really wasn't a lot going on. There was High Times and there was some other lower regional magazines. So we started Cannabis Now as a Rocky Mountain medical journal. And then Montana was actually one of the only states, Montel, to go backwards on their laws. They legalized it medicinally with very, very few restrictions. And then they came back a number of years later and said, nah, only, only one, one provider per three patients, which basically put everybody out of business and almost put our magazine out of business. We relocated it to Berkeley, California. We took a mag, our, our, our second magazine, we sent it to Barnes and Noble and we said, hey, this is the new mainstream medical, political, horticultural magazine of record uh, to sit next to the shelves, next to High Times. High Times was going after an alternative, more aggressive consumer. We want to go after the enlightened future consumer. We said, how many, how many should we ship you? They said, okay, send us 4,000. We said, oh crap, what are we gonna do? We got this big order. You know who we called? We called Steve D'Angelo from Harborside. We said, Steve, you're in Oakland. You're doing some great things with your dispensary. We need a big cover story. Will you give us access? He said, sure, come on down. We went down, we interviewed him. He gave us some amazing photography that a very famous photographer let us use free of charge because we had no money back then. We put him on the cover. He had just done the Weed Wars Discovery Channel show um, and the issue sold through the roof. Now, there's a little bit of debate whether it sold through the roof because of Steve D'Angelo or people thought he looked like Santana, but that, that, that's up for debate. And um, ever since then, you know, every year we've been putting out magazines and evolving as time goes on. And then three years ago, we noticed that hemp was up and coming. You know, we could eat hemp, we could wear hemp clothing, but we couldn't grow it in the U.S. legally. And we anticipated that it was going to be part of the farm bill. And we launched Hemp Magazine as a complement to Cannabis Now. Cannabis Now is more THC focused right now. Hemp Magazine is more focused on CBD. But I believe in the future that where we're going to see the segregation of these magazines and these talking points is in two, two distinct categories. And tell me what you think about this. I believe that cannabinoids is going to graduate outside of just THC. It's going to be the holistic you know, the terpenes, all the different major and minor cannabinoids. And that's really going to be the cannabis conversation. Hemp is going to turn into something that we eat, something that we clothe ourselves with, something that we try to create bioplastic with. And it will, it will go away from the CBD conversation and more towards a food and agricultural community. I, I, am, I almost agree with you 100%. I mean, I believe, honestly, well, we're taking a look at what's going on around the world. I mean, you know, you look at maybe you're going to talk about this, but you know, though we have hemp growing in the United States, um, a recent article just uh, indicated that China is going to probably corner this damn market. And before, you know, America wakes up and gets to it, because 
you know, China, uh, first off, from a land, from a land uh, space uh, capability, they have the space, but then they also got a billion and a half people. And, you know, they're going to be growing hemp at a level, and especially as we are moving forward in a world where we're trying to get away from animal protein consumption, people know that the hemp seed is the most pro- one of the most protein-laden seeds on the planet. And I believe that, you know, the Chinese have recognized that recognize that, you know, there have been hemp protein products out for the last 30 years. And now all of a sudden people are going to start coming back to that hemp protein product. And China wants to get on the front end of this. What do you think? There's a great company out there called Planet Based Foods. And they're based out of San Diego and Los Angeles. And they're putting out hemp protein products. They're starting with a hemp burger. Um, and then they're going to bake in and all the different, you know, basically the beyond the meat 2.0 using, using hemp as food, but you're absolutely right. No, China, I mean, China, not just in hemp, but in many, many different things is a juggernaut that has already arrived and how we, how we deal with that partner with that aspect of our globe is, is multidimensional, but they, they've been the leader of hemp growing for, for decades. The, The question is, Will they give us the transparency in their quality, in their lack of pesticides, in their humane harvesting for the Western consumers to accept it? And that's one of the things about cannabis and hemp customers that I've noticed over the years. They are very discerning and they actually care where their product is coming from. It's not like a lot of commodities where you can eat an egg or a milk and and not people in general are starting to focus more on that. But very, very specifically for the cannabis and hemp consumer, if they don't know what farm it was coming out of, where the testing, where the lab results were, what the CEO's um, you know, community involvement is, their diversity of their company, it's a big problem for the, for the conscious consumer. And so China can produce all the hemp they want in the world, but if there's no transparency on the quality, I think they're going to run up some serious competition. And not, not just in hemp, but Colombia is going to be growing some of the best THC cannabis on the planet. And, and will the U.S. and Canada be able to compete with that? I'm a 100% disclosure. I'm literally in conversations with one of the top companies out of Colombia right now to do a partnership with them because uh, THC? It's, a, it's a THC and CBD product um, that is an American-owned company that happens to be working out of Colombia. And Colombia right now is now, you know, signed agreements with everyone from Israel to Australia to New Zealand to, you know, Germany and Spain and are in the process of developing out products that they can actually export around the world, especially, you know, large volumes of CBD. And, you know, um, hopefully, you know, we'll be in a position to make some announcements uh, relatively soon about that relationship. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It wasn't that I wanted to jump outside of the United States, but since we're, you know, putting up so many roadblocks here in the United States. Why not go someplace where, again, we have 430 million people. I'm sorry, 330 million people. The world has close to 7 billion people. And as the world starts to recognize the efficaciousness of cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, all those other things that we don't recognize the virtue or value of here in this country, I think that uh, to be on the cutting edge of international development and sales would be a really smart move. 
Absolutely. And I'm, I'm all about um, sovereignty and borders and security. And um, I'm proud to be an American, but I'm also, be, I'm also proud to be a citizen of the world. And we are all humans. And if we can find a way to holistically, as a community of human beings, have a better collective life, that's, that's the most important mission. And Colombia is an interesting story, Montel, because, you know, you ask any hundred people about Colombia, and immediately it's cocaine and cannabis, illegal, uh, and uh, Pablo Escobar kind of thought process, which goes back to our earlier conversation about history. Um, so once we get past that, uh, you know, we can see Colombia as being a, a legitimate producer globally. Um, but then there's also the, the, the interesting debate about indoor versus outdoor growing and, and the environmental impacts of indoor cultivation, the quality of outdoor. Um, I think it's gonna, time will tell where that argument lands. But uh, what do you think about, you know, is a, I assume it's going to be an outdoor cultivation in Colombia for you. It'll be a combination, but it'll be 90% outdoor. And, uh, and, you know, with some, you know, precise modern technology outdoor grow. So therefore, you know, you could have uh, grows that are at least surrounded in ways so that you can lessen the environmental flow of the toxins and things that go across. But, you know, I think that, you know, we're going to have to get back to a spot where, you know, we use non-chemical grow and we're not using a lot of pesticides and but I think that, you know, when you can get to a spot where you can do the volume of grow, that's part of the problem here in the United States. I think, you know, we have a volume issue. You know, we're trying to isolate this down to a couple thousand, two, three thousand acres here and there, five thousand acres here and there, where in places like Columbia, you can have million acre grow. So then when you have million acres that are dedicated to growing hemp and cannabis, you can actually experiment and make sure that you grow large volumes of different genomes and phenotypes that can then be extracted and purified down to a level that component parts become commodities. You know what I mean? So like, you know, if I'm growing 200,000 acres of CBD, 100,000 acres of CBG, 100,000 acres of CBN, 100,000 acres of terpene-laden plants, it's hard to compete with that, especially when you start looking at the volume that you'd be able to then be able to provide as a commodity to the world. So we'll have to see. But I think that um, America may blink and not be able to catch up quick enough. So look, my friend, I thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. And I'm talking to Eugene Garcia, who is the publisher and founder of you know, Cannabis Now magazine and Hemp magazine. Got plenty of more questions for you, sir, but I got to pay a couple bills before I get to them. Let me pay a couple bills and come back and let's continue the conversation, okay? You got it. All right, my friend. I'll take a little break here, but you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. And our guest is Mr. Eugenio Garcia, who is a founder and publisher of Cannabis Now magazine and HEP magazine. Cannabis Now was launched back in 2009 and has quickly become one of the most trusted sources of cannabis information in the cannabis discussions in the world. It's available at several bookstores and dispensaries around the country at numerous other newsstands nationwide in the U.S. and Canada, U.K., 
Eugenio, thank you so much for being a part of the discussion today on Let's Be Blunt. Yeah, you got it. Absolutely. And so before the break, we were talking about, you know, imp- international implications. But let's get back to U.S. implications. I mean, when you first started this magazine, you had to have been faced with a lot of pushback. Or were you? We, we, didn't, we didn't get a lot of pushback in the sense of, oh, we don't want another cannabis publication or media company. It was more of we were very, very early, seriously early, like eight years early. And basically on the shelf, there was Skunk Magazine, Weed World, and High Times. Skunk and Weed World were internationally based and more focused on genetics and, and, and cultivation. High Times, there hadn't been a new cannabis nationally distributed magazine since the 70s. And so there wasn't a market. That was the biggest challenge is there, there was no advertisers and there was no distribution. We were the first publication that was cannabis focused to be allowed on the iTunes platform to be read digitally. We had to change their family friendly policy and submit our magazine multiple times to be reviewed to get the check. Yes, you are not a threat to society. We will publish your magazine. We had to petition the airports. We are the only nationally distributed cannabis magazine that you can find in the airports. And before COVID, that was a highly trafficked market for publications. So we had to petition Hudson News multiple times to say, please accept our magazine so that people can access this. And it can be right next to the Vogue's, to the Sports Illustrated, to the Vanity Fairs. And it's not if a child picks it up randomly, it's not like it needs to be up in the corner next to the Smut magazines. So the, the challenges were multidimensional, but really what it came down to uh, was, are there people who will support us, brand partners, and can we get the distribution? There wasn't a lot of dispensaries. Now there's plenty of dispensaries, which really helps with distribution. And now the, when you look at some of these companies, I mean, the Tilray's and the Canopies, there's these companies raising billions of dollars. There's plenty of, of potential brands to engage in this conversation now. Um, I mean, if you tried to get sponsorship for this podcast 10 years ago, uh, good, good luck. Not um, so so we're, we're in the heart of now enjoying uh, the opportunity that there are brands that want to engage with us, that we can value what they're doing. They can value what we're doing. We have, en- we have enough dispensaries around the country and newsstands to distribute the content. Now there's multidimensional ways of distributing it with social media, uh, with film content, with, with blogs and podcasting, which 10 years ago, it was still all kind of developing. So I think the next frontier uh, is the mainstream brands to participate in this conversation. Right now, we're all kind of in a bubble, so to say, in this cannabis environment. And we haven't quite made the transition to cannabis being a part of life, whether it's food or it's just hemp oil lotions or it's you're dabbing THC on the weekend to de-stress. We haven't quite transitioned yet where we can attract big time partners like Patagonia um, or Cliff Bar or John Deere tractors. Those brands haven't quite engaged yet. And I think they're coming, but that was, that was the biggest challenge coming into this. And then it was also the, the who are, what are we going to talk about, Montel, right? There were so many people in the shadows or in the early stages of coming into this business. You have to tell stories. And there wasn't, you know, you could tell all the historical stories, but at some point people want to know what's in the future. Our slogan is the future of cannabis is happening now. 
So our job wasn't so much looking at the past, although that was important. Our job about what's going to what's in the future, who are the, the future trendsetters right now? And eight years ago, there wasn't that much going on. And now every week there's something interesting going on. So that's really helpful for us. And then finally, Montel, one of the biggest challenges, and maybe you can speak to this, is how do you actually do business? Banks still will not allow many THC companies to do business. Even hemp and CBD companies have a hard time banking. And so we would have clients dropping off thousands of dollars in cash and businesses can't function without banking. And, and I actually think that that's one of the biggest barriers to this industry, specifically in the United States. If we can't have access to safe commerce, how are we supposed to grow our businesses? Yeah, you ought to do here. I'll just throw out a, just a, an idea for you for one of your articles. Reach out to the guys who started David Dannenberg, who started Kind Financial, which is really a brand new paradigm shift. He's one of the first uh, paradigm shift right now when it comes to banking and being able to use traditional banking outlets to run his paradigm. I know that he's uh, reached out to uh, Steve D'Angelo and uh, Harborside, and he's reached out to you know, a, a huge organization in Colorado, um, Euphoria. So uh, Euphora, so they are literally, you know, right now, I think on the cutting edge of changing that idea and that paradigm on how to actually utilize a credit card, how to be cashless when it comes to purchasing and having dispensaries and growers and, and, and farmers all being involved in a, you know, kind of a paradigm shift when it comes to banking. So reach out to them. You got to do an article and I think it will be very successful in your magazine. Absolutely. You said it was kind financial. Kind, K-I-N-D. Yeah, yeah. kind financial. This guy's doing a great job. So you brought him up, uh, you know, with this COVID-19, man, how has that affected the industry and affected the landscape? You know, it, it's interesting because obviously March, April, May, no matter who you were or what you were doing, it was a dead stop on just about everything except for making masks and protective equipment. And also selling cannabis, though. Cannabis seemed to be almost, you know, uh, uh, bulletproof when it came to what's happened. As a matter of fact, sales have been reported to have gone up almost all over the country. Do you know that? Well, it's a blessing in disguise because at least from an investment point of view. And I, I was actually um, listening to one of your previous guests who uh, was the CEO of, of, of Vanxed, the, the, um, the hiring platform. Yes. And she was talking about the, the recession that the cannabis community was coming into in, in the summer of 2019 and into the winter. Yep. And as a, as a silver lining, COVID happening and people flocking towards health and wellness and anti-stress, which cannabis attacks both, I think that it actually showed the strength of cannabis at a time where cannabis really needed a boost up. It was on its way into a slight downturn as far as a lot of people had invested a lot of money. They weren't seeing money coming back. The laws weren't changing as fast as they had hoped for. Um, but then COVID happened. And guess what? People were still spending money on cannabis and CBD. And so it became a little bit of a safe haven for investment, which in turn help the industry out. From, from our business perspective, it, it was very traumatic. I mean, for three or four months, there was no marketing being spent. There was no discussions on branding. People were just like, are, are we going to be alive in three months? Um, and then it, in May, in late May, when things started to feel a little bit better and things started to open up, then we had Black Lives Matter um, protesting 
and subsequent violence that happened all around the country, which I know many, many dispensary owners that were either put out of business or almost put out of business because of the looting and violence around the country. Our, our, our own company was heavily affected in Beverly Hills. We had a CBD and wellness store there that was completely broken, broken into, vandalized for hours and hours and hours. Myself, I was attacked. Um, and we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of product. I, I know people in Oakland, California, that lost millions of dollars of product. They, they even had armed guards that they had to tell to stand down because it was a choice of do I murder people who are stealing from me or do I let them take millions of dollars of uninsured product? And then we had all the fires on the West Coast, which affected a lot of outdoor cultivations. So there's, it's been a very up and down year. There's been some strength as far as uh, uh, the proof of concept that this is something that it can make it through recessions and depressions and good times and bad times. But it's been a tough year all around for a number of different reasons. Um, but I think if we can get through this winter, coming into the, the spring season, and, and once we get into July, August of next year, pending continued progress on the pandemic and where the presidency will go, I think we're going to see an uptick like you like we've never seen before in the cannabis space. Well, let's have a discussion about where you think. I, I'd love to know your thoughts on where do you think I and mean, where we know. We, <laughs> I say we know. I mean, we know the results of the election. We don't know what's going to happen still for the next two months because insanity is prevailing all over the country. Um, but let's let's just say that we follow history in America and we consider that the presumptive elected president and his vice president take over, and that being Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I have not been, I, I've been saying over and over again, let's be very careful what we think and assume is going to happen under a Biden presidency, because Joe Biden has been, for, unfortunately, a you know recipient of bad information, bad education. He still lives in a world where he thinks that cannabis is a gateway drug. He's made those statements along the way through to his election as president. We have Kamala Harris, who you know, flip the coin, you'll get a different answer each day on where she stands. We know that she spent a lot of time trying her best to enforce draconian laws, and making sure that brown and black people continue to get arrested for cannabis violations in California. Even when the rest of the country was saying stop. And, you know, now that she is the, you know, elected vice presidential person, do we really, can we really guarantee that she's going to support new initiatives to not just decriminalize, because that seems to be their catchphrase these days, decriminalize, that will do none of us any good, because decriminalization still brings with it the stigma that there's something wrong with it. Where do you think this goes? Well, I was actually going to ask you, maybe in a little bit of a teasing way, I mean, you got a TMZ moment going on right now because of your brief history with Kamala in the past. Um, but I think that people respond to incentives and politicians want to get reelected. They want, for lack of a better word, they want power and they want influence. And so 
I, I think that it could be a lot worse with this president-elect. We could be in, in a lot worse of a situation. Um, we put Obama on, on our cover. And we said, what now, Mr. President? We actually had a lot more positive potential, we thought, with President Obama, which, although there was a hands-off approach, which allowed things to continue as, as, as states wanted to do their own thing. And, and same with the Trump presidency. There's been a lot of benefit from his presidency with what I call a hands-off approach. Could, could have gone a much harder way. Um, but what it comes down to, there, there's two dynamics, Montel. There's money and there's people. There's the power of the people and there's money. And for the power of the people, I'll start with that. What did it take to get people to actually march in the streets to demand change? It took a pandemic, an economy paired with murder, blatant murder, to get people to come into the streets. And are we going to get a million-man march for cannabis in this environment? I think it's doubtful. So let's put the, the power of protest aside as, as a potential to move this thing forward. Biden and Kamala and the legislatures, I actually think it's going to come down to big business putting their money where their mouth is to push this forward. It's going to be companies like Cureleaf that was very influential in the New Jersey legalization of this past election. It's going to be parent companies like Scott's miracle Grow having subsidiaries. Are you familiar with Hawthorne? the grow company, mm -hmm. these larger entities are going to have to push financial resources to the individuals that are part of the grassroots community, the positive momentum, and finance the laws that will protect people for pushing this forward. That's, that's how I see it. Well, I mean, I guess, but, but again, one of the things I think is, is going to be paramount is the fact that both Harris and Biden recognize the numbers of the election. And if you really take a look at this election, the real winner was can was cannabis. That was the winner. Take a look at the numbers that come yeah, out of Mississippi. Take a look at the numbers that come out of you know what is it, uh, South Dakota. I mean, the the country said unequivocally, folks, we believe in cannabis. No ifs ands or buts. The nation stated that it didn't. It wasn't like you know this is something that that uh, wasn't you know voted in ridiculously at a high level. I, I'm looking up something real quick, but I'll go back to, to just give you some of the numbers. But I mean, we take a look at New Jersey. Here we go. Let's take a look at the, the medical marijuana one in Mississippi by 70% of the vote. Seven, zero. Higher than either Biden or Trump. One yeah. is Dakota by 70% of the vote. Medical marijuana uh, uh, was 54% for recreation as well. 66% of the vote in New Jersey was for cannabis recreational use, 60% in Arizona, 56% in Montana. I mean, the people spoke, cannabis won. You're absolutely right. And, and find me a topic where there's more people who are together in one voice than anything on this planet right now. I mean, there's so many different things that people are divided on, whether it's gun rights or it's border control or it's taxes. Uh, if you're Republican or you're Democrat or you're in the middle or you're off in the outer space, guess what? You're probably going to be okay with cannabis or very, very pro-cannabis. And that, have we ever seen anything like that? I don't think so. But, but here's the thing. There's only so many voter initiatives that states allow 
for people to grassroots put things on the ballot to push through. There's only so many states that allow that. And we've almost maxed that out. And the states that don't have voter initiatives, where you have to go through the process either federally or from the state legislature level, that's up to the people that are elected in office. And so people are now going to have to be paying more attention to where is the stance of the candidate on cannabis and are we going to support another term for them in the midterms? Are we going to vote them into office? Because I feel like we're, we're at almost the end of the voter initiatives, which has been the big driving force around legalization around the U.S. And now we have to have a federal answer to banking and to and to federal crimes. Well, I think there's no better time than now, though, I got to tell you, when you look at the nation and look at this is where when you're talking about those big companies that need to get behind things, I mean, I, and I, I, you know, get behind me, get behind you, get behind us who are sending out the messages to the people. So we're trying to educate, trying to get them up current, make them understand that their voice needs to be listened to, needs to be heard. And there would not be a better time than now than to have some sort of, I, I still find it absolutely egregiously, ridiculously offensive that there's really not any form of cannabis programming on national television or on, you know, live. Well, well people can access. Have you seen, have you heard of the uh, Jim Belushi show that? that Jim, Jim was on my podcast. Okay. So, so, so here's the, here's the challenge. There are, there are a lot of aggressive, I'll call them stoners, for lack of a better word. I'm not hating on anybody, but there's, there's a lot of recreational users who have an aggressive message that, that is, is, is hard to receive. And, and you, I've always admired your take on, you're about as mainstream as it gets. When you look back at your, your life and your career and your success, the, the Montel Williams show, that's about as mainstream as it gets in the positive sense of the word. And you've been pro-cannabis forever, and you haven't been ashamed of it. And so how do we take education and make it entertainment so that people will absorb it? And, and, and I feel like you've done a really good job with that, but how many Montels are there in the world? How many Jim Belushi's are there in the world? We, there, there's, there's a saying, there's, there's always enough investment to drive business, but there's not enough good entrepreneurs. So how do we cultivate the future entertainers, the future educators, the future leaders, so that there is something to promote? And how do we how do we make that a profitable endeavor? It's very. It's, I got to tell you, my friend, if we took this this podcast, Jim Belushi uh, was on my podcast, and it's one of my more popular ones right now. People are downloading, watching this thing like uh, you know a fire hydrant, and, and I've been really happy with that. I really wish that I could get a national sponsor to come in, someone that could help us lift this voice. Because I think that, you know, next generation, cross-generationally, you know, I still appeal to, you know, X's and Y's and millennials and, and baby boomers all at the same time. That's the reason why they're tuning in. So I really want to try to see if I can get this voice amplified as big as I can so I can help lead the conversation the way it should be led. Absolutely. And here's an example of, Here's, here's an example of, of where I think we need to push through the next level. For example, Joe Rogan, most, most popular podcast on earth, tens of millions of audience, very, very, very pro-cannabis. He's got one or two CBD advertisers that promote. He just got a big Spotify deal. He, he just had Dave Chappelle on his podcast this last week. He moved to Austin, Texas. He says that he's smoking cannabis. But is he going to have Tommy Chong or Montel Williams um, or Wiz Khalifa on his show and just 
focus on cannabis? I don't believe so. And it takes people of power to focus on that message, to push it through the door. And we need some people who really either have the political power or the star power to wake up and see that this is this is the time to make it happen. And how is it going to benefit everybody and not just benefit themselves? Well, I just had Tommy on also. Tommy was a guest on my show here recently, and I'm going after Wiz. See if I can get him on. Wiz was made a statement, I think, uh, on his own um, outlet that, that if there was anybody in the world he wanted to smoke with, it was me. So, you know. <laughs> I'd love to have him on. And uh, I'm going to continue to see if I can get the message out, see what I have to do to get people to, to understand that it's it's okay to have this conversation. I mean, that, that, at a time when we can't talk about anything else, this is probably one of the only things that brings people together on. So I'm going to keep doing what I do. And I hope you keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. You know, with Cannabis Now magazine and Hemp magazine, we'll do as much as we can to help promote you. And um, you're right. Over the next four or five months, I think is a critical time, a really, really, really critical time. So we need to do as much as we can collectively to get the word out. So thank you so much, sir, for being a part of the show today. I can't say thank you enough. You have, dude, I had 20 more questions to ask you, and we're out of time. But I would like to say that you have a home here anytime you want, okay? Thank you very much. And if we can help you in any way, please reach out. I'm, I'm so happy to see you healthy and looking great, and may it continue. Absolutely. Same thing to you. Stay safe out there. Be careful as much as, you know, we think that we hear all this good news about uh, vaccines that are coming down the pike, we still hear the same stupid ass news out there about those that are so ignorant that they won't even put on a mask. And I'm sorry, but I got to say it, man. I mean, it's like, you know, if there's one thing that I think all science has proven is it not only helps you individually, it helps you from spreading it to someone else, but we still can't seem to break through and get people to say, it's not affecting your civil rights. It's not affecting your individual liberty. You're helping to keep people safe and you could help bring this thing to an end. So thanks for all the work you do. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. I'd love to have you back. And if there's anybody you want to send my way, make sure you send them my way because I'm going to cheat making sure that I'm the biggest trumpet out there that I can be and get the word out. Okay. Right on brother. Thank you. All right. So you have a great day. Stay safe. Keep your family safe and uh, keep loving Montana. You're going to have some good snow out there soon. So you know, dude, enjoy it. You got it. I am you. All right, my friend. Thank you all also for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.